fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my holy co-hosts. I'm an angel in... Oh, I'm Chelsea Hollowell. I'm an angel in training, but uh, I haven't earned my wings yet, you know? Oh, well, you'll get there someday. Yeah. First, I have to make sure... That this person that just got a new Halo doesn't, you know, make too many mistakes or fuck up. And uh, just make sure they they complete their holy mission, and uh, then I'm set. How's it going so far? Not too good. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty rough. And, you know, speaking of those Halos, I'm Jack Olander. And uh, I'm a cadaver that was in a local nunnery. And uh, I saw a scuffle going down, and they were going to put the halo in me. I was kind of looking forward to coming back to life that way. But, uh, you know, there was a bit of a scuffle, and they actually put it in the in the body right next to me. So, you know, that was kind of rough. Bummer. What a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, maybe next time. Maybe next time. It's like when your lotto ticket is just like a number off. Yeah. I would say I'm in in purgatory, but I I think I just saw the lost the lost title show up, and that's probably not purgatory, right? So oh I'm no, that is. no, that would be a really bad like writing thing. Like if you were gonna set up a really elaborate TV show with like a big reveal, and then actually it turns out that you didn't plan anything at all, and like by season what four, your writers' room just was like, oh, we need to come up with something real quick. How about everyone's in purgatory? Nobody would do that. That would be so unprofessional. <laughs> it's really funny you say that because that's actually a metaphor for my life and how I wound up as this cadaver. Was it during season four? Yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh. <laughs> well, guys, uh, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> this week we're talking about loss. Yeah. <laughs> So this week, we are kicking off a new round of our hopefully fan favorite, but I guess let us know, miniseries of Satire TV, our bi-weekly uh, discussion of a TV show, uh, or in this case, I guess a Netflix show or series, um, because the last one was The Witcher, and this week we are starting with Warrior Nun. And it was chosen by our patrons. That's right. Thank you to our patrons for voting on this. So this week we're going to be talking about Warrior Nun Episode 1, Psalm 46.5, directed by Jet Wilkinson. This is the, I guess for lack of a better word, the pilot for the series. And it's where we're going to start because it's really good to start these types of things from the beginning. So why don't we do a quick recap of Psalm 46.5. So for your Bible study this week, we'll be going over Psalm 46.5. Oh, God. Uh, hold on. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> and as... Uh, if you all open your Bibles to this passage, um, I'll read it aloud and you can follow along. Okay. Ah, there we are. <laughs> so it reads, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Oh, that sounds so sweet. This God seems like a stand-up guy. 
So what do you think that means? Are we going to figure that out during the episode? Probably, because it's not totally clear. <laughs> but, uh... I mean, she won't fall. So that time she got hit by a truck and, like, thrown into a building and then phased into a wall? I guess she didn't really fall there. Yeah, it's true. She kind of was just hurled. Yeah. But, um... Let me uh, get you set up here so you know who she is. We're playing the pronoun game right now. Oops. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a uh, screenwriter's favorite game, so. So we kind of get this main character, Ava Silva, and we also get her internal monologue. She's uh, the narrator and the main character of the show, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that worked for me. The story takes place... In Andalusia, Spain. In the present day, according to the title credits. So, I mean, whenever you're watching this, 2142, I'm just picking a random year out of nowhere, it takes place in the present, in that day, in the present. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. That is troubling, isn't it? So, this is... Uh, of course, like necessarily a setup episode, we get a lot of lore and uh, character introductions. I'll say mm -hmm. in this one, but um, just the, some broad strokes to to get the audience situated. But some of the broad strokes of the story so far are that there's kind of this holy war going on. Uh, and there are these warrior nuns that are trained by this particular sect of the Catholic diocese of this city. Maybe in other cities, too. But Yeah, I mean, uh, Father Vincent mentions that he's on mission from Rome. I mean, he could be bullshitting. He seems like we're setting up uh, this character as... Maybe a little bit of an unknown, whether he's got the best intentions or not. Yeah, it's true. But he seems to kind of, like, be in charge of these warrior nuns. And they're basically a battalion of holy warriors. And they're um, in a crusade against demons that exist in this world. Ah, demons. Good old demons. No fantasy is complete without some demons. Yeah. And there are different types of demons, and we'll get into that later. Are there huggly, cuddly demons? There's gotta be. Nice. So, we're introduced to the kind of what seems to be the Prime Force One strike team of this battalion. God Force One? <laughs> yeah. And uh, they're led by a woman named Shannon. Of course, they're nuns, so they're all female, you know. It's a little bit uh, binary in that way. Yeah, but I mean, uh, the show's got a little bit of representation, so. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, we're just meeting these characters. Maybe this happens to be an all-female uh, battalion, but maybe there's some warrior nuns who are non, you know, non-binary or, or something. Maybe. But, um, so we learned that there's this thing called Divinium, which can hurt the leader because she's the leader because she has this halo it's like an angel's halo in her back yes and of course divinium is the most cleverly named material since unobtainium <laughs> yeah in fact it's right next to it on the periodic table that makes two sense. away from explodium ah uh, explodium my favorite element and it the on the other side of it is kryptonite 
Ah, uh, yes. So, yeah, Shannon is actually killed in the beginning, and the wow, rest- Wow, killing off the main character, that's bold. She's not the main character, Ava is. I know. Um, so, she was basically the leader of this troop. And- battalion, please. No, the whole thing is the battalion, they're like a squad. Okay. Sure. Get your your lingo right, Jamie. Damn it. (laughs) Nun squad. Nun squad. I just, I don't like to use troop unless it's a group of bards. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) So, Mary is almost like the second in command, or at least she's kind of the hothead. Shannon was kind of like their Leonardo. Mary is definitely like their Raphael. And she's about to be in charge. That was, actually, Chelsea, that is... Genius. I love that. Because Mary is, (laughs) Father Vincent is like, you're the one who gets shit done. That's Raphael, for sure. Yeah. And she's kind Mm -hmm. of like their shield, in a way. Like, she seems very protective of others. I can't wait to find out which one is the Michelangelo. That's kind of like their rookie Camilla. Okay. I was going to say Ava's a bit of a Michelangelo type. Yeah, I was thinking Ava. Maybe. It's going to be. Camilla is kind of, like, more fun-loving, and she plays the piano, and she gets everybody's moods up. She's got the charisma. Right, she right. loves pizza. That's why I thought <laughs> she was kind of like She fights that. with nunchucks. Um, no, wait. Nunchucks. Nunchucks! Oh, man, I did not even do that on purpose. That was amazing. Beatrice is kind of like the brainiac. She is, Donatello. like, their Donatello. Mm-hmm. And so Lilith is, like, an assassin. So she could be like a backup Leonardo. The the, the analogy is starting to break down here, but <laughs> I mean, Casey Jones, right? Or uh... oh yeah, there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> well, we've cracked the series, guys. Well done <laughs> on episode one in the first five minutes. I think Ava is more like their um, April because she doesn't know anything about their world, and she's going to start to learn about it. Very nice. Well, I now completely understand the show. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Very nice, Chelsea. That's thanks. Very clear. You know, using the most understood archetypes for our generation. <laughs> thanks. So we don't want to go too much deeper into it right now, but just suffice it to say that Ava did die, and she was having dreams that this would happen. And then there was a scuffle. There were people who were coming in. We learned later they may have been possessed by demons. And they were fighting the nuns. They didn't get to transfer the halo from Shannon after she died to the next in line who would have been Lilith. And so they, the nun had to quickly just put it in the nearest person, which happened to be Ava's corpse. Well, they just needed to put it in a body so that the demons would have a harder time finding it. Yeah. They didn't realize that it was going to resurrect Ava. Exactly. They were just trying to hide it from the demons. But it did resurrect Ava, and she's learning that she has superpowers. Well, so relevant to this discussion, we haven't mentioned this yet, but before she died, Ava was a paraplegic. Right. So she... We find out in this episode that she was injured in a car accident that killed her mother. And that's why she was in this nunnery in Spain. Yeah. She's an American who was on vacation with her mom. They were in a terrible car accident. She lost the use of her limbs. She lost, Her mother died. And she ended up in this nunnery orphanage with a 
nun who just fucking hates her guts for no especially well-defined reason yet. And she won't come clean about how Ava really died, so that's sus. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys knew about that, and I missed something. No. Because she's just so relentlessly brutal about Ava. Yeah. About this, like, poor girl who was a paraplegic, lost in a foreign country from childhood, with no family to go back to, and this nun's just like, well, fuck this little brat. It's like, maybe have a little bit of fucking context. But you know what? We're kind of already getting into it, so why don't we head into the bulk of the discussion? Sounds good. So since we were talking about Sister Frances, that's the mean nun, about her sort of harsh views about Ava, the main character, there was a scene where they were over the cadaver's body. Sister Frances was talking to a priest. Oh, yeah. And she made some offhand remark about how Ava's in hell. Oh, and yeah. the priest was like, what? You think she's in hell? Why would you say that? And she's like, well, it doesn't matter if she's in heaven or hell. She was already in hell when she was alive. And I was just like, oh, my God. She's so brutal. She's. And the priest makes a remark about how they have to forgive Ava for any wrongdoings she did, right? And the nun, St. Francis, Sister Francis, not St. Francis. <laughs> Definitely not St. Francis. <laughs> no. Sister Francis is like, I'll take my chances. But <laughs> Damn, <laughs> and dude. just leaves. Yeah, that is brutal. <laughs> yeah, Sister Francis goes hard. I don't know if Ava was really in hell, but she just got burned. I know that. <laughs> yeah, damn. She can't even say anything to defend herself. She's dead. <laughs> but she's still in the room. I, I thought you weren't supposed to speak ill of the dead. Only temporarily dead. <laughs> True, but Sister Frances doesn't know that. Yeah. She's just like, good riddance to bad rubbish. Yeah, we don't it's... know their their history together or what their relationship was like besides her surly attitude, Sister Frances's surly attitude. So we but, don't know why she hates Ava so much. But we do know that she hates a paraplegic child. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And everybody that... Uh, ends up talking to her about Ava seems really off-put by how vindictive she is. We also get a little clue about, you know, Sister Frances's vendetta against Ava, because she says, oh, Ava didn't have any friends here in the orphanage. But Ava comes back and, like, goes to her old room and meets a young boy, I believe Pedro? Yeah. And Pedro is like, seems really like, like he's happy to see her, and he's like, oh, you died, and I, I'm so glad that you're back. So she had friends. People liked her. Yeah, Pedro really liked her. Well, Sister Frances is just the worst. When Father Vincent visited the orphanage because he saw pictures of Ava and he was trying to investigate because they wanted to find out where, what happened to the halo after the skirmish, he was investigating where she might be, and it took him to the orphanage. And he talked to Pedro, and Pedro said he was she was his best friend. Yeah, there you go. So right after Sister 
Francis said that she didn't have any friends. Yeah. So she's she's full of shit. Maybe she's the devil. <gasps> oh shit, Jamie. I'm well, just no, I mean come on, the devil would be way cooler than that. No, Jamie, what you just said means that we have to start talking about the different types of demons that we got introduced to. I'm on board. Let's do it. Because she sees the devil in everything but herself. Ooh, yes. good. That's from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, well, it fits here, too. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's real quick, let's map all the characters from this onto Hunchback of Notre Dame characters. No, you can't cross that many <laughs> okay, fine. references. Yeah. Uh, so we learn um, of at least two different types of demons, but we also learn that there are many other types. But we just get two examples in this episode. We're going to call them mist demons who are demons that are kind of misty and smoky and, like, can possess people's minds. Yeah, they can basically, yeah, possess somebody and control them and make them do evil things. Mm -hmm. And the other type we're going to call slashy demons, because <laughs> they can cut you in half with their fucking claws. Yeah. Claw. Claw. <laughs> One claw. <laughs> One single claw, just whoop. They're basically corporeal monsters, I'm assuming, and yeah, they can actually harm you physically with their claws. Classic monsters. Always hurting you with their claws. <laughs> there better be an apostrophe before that S in claws. Because it's only one. <laughs> Just saying. It can cut an entire person in half. So... We learn about all these demons from Father Vincent as he's talking to a barkeep when he goes into a tavern. This barkeep's just like, uh, yeah, like standard priest shit. And then he starts, then Father Vincent starts getting real deep and going real hard. And it's just like, but what if I told you this, even though I wasn't a priest? And the dude's just like, yeah, I got to go help these customers over here. He just kind of awkwardly walks away. <sighs> That was such an uncomfortable scene. Vincent was very strange. Yeah. I, I get the sense that he's he seems very guarded in his delivery, and that's intentional. You're supposed to question whether or not he can be trusted, and that's a major theme of this episode, like, about trust. Who can you trust? And, like, different characters that are trusting, it kind of tells you something about them. Yeah, trust comes up a lot in this episode, and we don't really pay off, like, necessarily knowing who you can trust and who you can't yet. It's it's very much up in the air so yeah. far, but we're laying the groundwork for, I'm sure, future episodes that are going to delve deeper into this. Yeah, I mean, already we see that sometimes tr that trust can be used to manipulate somebody, because we see that in the scene between Father Vincent... And Mary, when he's basically telling her that he found out Ava and or who has the halo, it's Ava. And he is asking Mary separately by herself without her squad to go find Ava and basically kill her to get the halo back because they don't want some outside rogue agent who's not affiliated with their order to have this precious artifact. Yeah, he's basically just like, whatever it takes, go get that halo back. So his motivations seem kind of suspicious and like he's clearly manipulating Mary's trust in him to get her to 
do something that will keep his order in control over this artifact and keep them in power. Keep the power in their hands. And for all we know, he's doing it for what he thinks are good intentions. Maybe. But we just don't know yet. We don't know yet. I mean, okay, granted, I, I can see from his perspective how having a powerful magical artifact that turns you into a superhero-like being, having that in the wrong hands could be bad. Yeah, that's for sure. True. Like he did learn a little bit about Ava before he talked to Mary about that, though. True. Good point. Uh, and that still didn't dissuade him from that course of action. Yeah, still sending Mary off to assassinate a up until recently paraplegic, I guess, nineteen-year-old woman. So, yeah. Not you know not the coolest move, Father Vincent. Then right. again, she might be holding what is the equivalent of, like, a nuclear weapon for, like, the, the metaphor of the amount of power she may have. Yeah. So, I think it's complicated. I think it's intentionally complicated. Right. But let's talk a little bit about our main character. We kind of danced around Ava and, and talked a bit about her, but, you know, there's some interesting scenes here where, in the beginning, she is questioning, like, how she could come back from death. She thinks maybe she's dreaming. But now that she can walk, she's kind of having this <laughs> kind of day out. Yeah. Like she goes to the beach, she runs in the sand, she falls over, she's having a good old time. She goes to a bar, gets drunk, jumps in a pool, realizes she can't swim, yeah. gets saved by a cute boy. You know, she seems really innocent and trusting of everybody that she comes across to. Which uh, is crazy because, you know, she knew Sister Frances. Maybe if somebody's not just directly attacking her verbally, she's like, oh, I can trust this person. It's true. That idea of innocence I thought was pretty good, right? I I was saying throughout the episode to you guys about how, like, She's acting as a better Christian than a lot of the people who work for the church are in this film. Yeah, yeah. let's talk about that. I, I like that point you brought up. Yes. It's because she's just going about her business, you know? A lot of the people we see working for the church, like there's Sister Frances. She's very, like you said, Chelsea, vindictive. And Jamie, thumbs down. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, She's very unkind and unforgiving, and we don't know what her reasons are, but, like, if you've dedicated yourself to being a nun, being forgiving is sort of one of the things that you've sworn to do, right? What One would think. Also having a commitment to charity, and she seems <laughs> like she is only taking care of these children begrudgingly. It's true. So... Who knows why she's in this, but, you know, maybe she's very faithful, but in practice, she's not habitually living up to sort of the ideals that she's agreed to uphold, right? Then there's uh, Father Vincent, and who knows what his reasoning is? Again, we don't know why, but he's like, yeah, go kill the chick. Go go, go chop up, explode her. Yep. Just bring me that halo. All right, maybe not in those exact words. <laughs> Close <but> enough. <laughs> chop up and then explode her. But uh, 
that's not a very good thing to do. Is <laughs> killing against one of the ten rules? You only have ten rules. Yeah. Listen, God was real clear. It's real simple. You just got these ten rules to follow. Everybody's good. Nope, not Father Vincent. He forgot one of the important ones. Thou shall not, um, uh, you know, have uh, one of your hit people go and blow someone's head up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Real clear one. Yeah. Real clear commandment. In a very similar way, I, I have a little bit of mixed feelings when it comes to this topic, when it comes to the warrior nuns that we've already seen. Yeah. Because they live in a position where they have to see a lot of violence and a lot of evil things. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that does a lot of difficult things to a person. Yes. So, of course, they're going to have an edge to them. Great point. And from Christian ideals, you know, edge isn't exactly what you should be striving for, but it is understandable why you have the edge, right? Try telling that to the Catholic Church, the edgiest church. Yes. I've seen Constantine. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. I mean, if but, you uh, study history, the Catholics and the Protestants were just chopping each other's heads off and torturing each other all over the place. Oh, yeah, yeah, in history, mm. sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd say this show, a lot of the people who work for the Catholic Church in this have a very medieval approach to the way they handle things. Yeah. Even so far as using holy swords, right? And wearing armor. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I cast holy bullet on the demon. <laughs> but we're right? getting there. You could. I mean, why not? But they use swords. I suppose that's fine. <laughs> it is a cool lightsaber sword, so whatever. But uh, anyway, the point of this is all to say that the figures we've seen as part of the church so far are edgy, kind of brutal people, right? Whereas Ava, our main character, like you were saying, she has that thrill of life. Mm -hmm. Because she has her second chance. Not only that, she has her functioning body back, right? Yeah. She can move around. What we see Ava doing this episode while everyone else is like scheming and brooding, right? She's just like feeling the sand on her toes. Yeah. And like, like ogling cute guys. <laughs> just like, you know, dancing at a club. And she's not a good dancer. She's just wiling, right? Yeah. Just shaking her body about. Which actually means she is a very good dancer, because she's just yeah. feeling it. You know exactly. what? You guys know what Ava's doing right now? What? At this point in the episode, at this point in the series, Ava is living moss. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's true. Yes. Taco Bell, sponsor us, please. <laughs> any day. Any day now. Any day. Send those gorditas. Yes. Doritos Locos Halos. Oh, very nice. <laughs> yes. But... All that to say that Ava is being very friendly to everyone. She hits a guy by accident. It's a reactionary thing, and she apologizes for it. Yeah, she and doesn't she realize leaves. she has, like, Buffy strength at this point. Or, yeah. or more, I mean. Sure. I mean, Buffy's going to be our baseline. Okay. Sure. But, uh... <laughs> She's embodying sort of the idea that I think St. Francis said, oh. where he's like, just live your life in like a good way and you'll be you'll be taken care of. Right. And that she's she's living that out 
quite nicely. She's just going about life enjoying herself, right? Running on the beach. She's walking around kind of lost. Some people go to talk to her. And when she swims in that pool, realizes she doesn't know how to swim and she's saved by this guy. He lets her stay with them. He offers her a friendship. He introduces community to her. It's like she just is living her life and everything is magically working out. Well, and that's maybe this is a great time to tie this back to the title of the episode. Yes. Because you're helping give some insight to that. Not only do her actions and the things that happened to her in this episode help illuminate the passage that is the title of this episode, uh, Psalm 46.5, but also isn't Psalms the book of the Bible that's considered to be one of the most poetic? Oh, yeah. It's just like a series of like little tunes, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Couple bangers. Yeah. Essentially, they're like poems or songs. I mean, they're called psalms. Yeah. They're like psalm songs. <laughs> and there are, I know, I remember there are many passages about like romantic love or sexual attraction, too. Ooh la la. Yeah. And so this book, not only is the passage meaningful for the episode but the entire book of the bible they chose the passage from is meaningful for this and what you're talking about with saint francis it's about finding the joy in creation and mm. enjoying what's been given to you by god right in the christian worldview i'm talking here yeah so is that's all correct wouldn't you say yeah, definitely. Do you want to repeat what the what the psalm of the episode is? Yes. So it, it goes, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. So that is uh, literal and figurative in meaning for this episode because... <laughs> um, First off, like I said, can't fall. Got magic now. <laughs> well, she couldn't die. She was resurrected. And in that way, she's also a Christ-like figure. And a completely original uh, storytelling device that's never been used before in any fiction. Oh, wait. Not only is she resurrected, but she's resurrected with powers. And those powers are used to... Well, they're used by this order to fight demons, but there are probably untapped ways to use those powers that don't have to do with violence. Yeah, the warrior nuns seem like they're all about, like, duty and fighting. But, you know, Ava might be the first person to ever use the halo to party. I know. It's true. You know, and it could be that, you know, if she has this halo, wouldn't, in Christian terms, bring that closer to God than most humans are capable of achieving? I would think so, because there's also the line where somebody asks if the halo has ever been used to resurrect somebody. And Father Vincent's like, I mean, he could be lying, but he says, not that I know of. So it seems like Ava is chosen in some way or another, perhaps fated or prophesied <laughs> to be a warrior nun of some kind or another. You know, you're you're reading my mind because I was thinking that in the Christian worldview, the Christian God is all powerful and all knowing. So 
it would be in their plan to resurrect Ava in that way. I mean, she's kind of like a mixture between a human and an and an angelic being at this point, right? I mean, she has a halo. Yeah. Nephilim. She's kind of like an angel manifested on Earth. The angel of parties. <laughs> the best angel. It's not surprising that you say that, because an angel manifested on Earth, I think, is a very excellent description, since the warrior nuns... Assumedly, they all have halos. That's just an assumption, however. Ava gets a halo in any case. Another one of the warrior nuns is using, like, a lightsaber cross sword. Yeah. And all that to tie back into when Ava was a cadaver lying on a on a table. Yeah. At the foot of the room is uh, a stained glass window with St. Michael the Archangel, right? Who is often depicted as an angel in full plate armor with a sword, like, stabbing at the devil. Right. Right? And Michael, and, what does Michael represent as an archangel? He's, oh, just like righteousness and justice, uh, stand, taking a stance, stuff like that. He's a protector, isn't he? Yeah, that yeah. too. He's like the general. Right. But yeah, we see him every time we're in the room with dead Ava. And Saint, uh, I mean, not Saint, uh, Father Vincent or Sister Francis are talking. That window of Michael is also in the picture, so. Good catch. I just want to address something you said real quick. Not all the warrior nuns have halos. Shannon, not? Shannon had it, and it was supposed to pass on to Lilith. Oh, I Everybody see. Everybody assumed it would be Mary, the Raphael of the group. Right. But... She said, no, it's not me. It's Lilith who's been who's been chosen to be the next one. So either there's multiple halos, but they're distributed to like the best of the best or there's only one. I'm assuming there's probably more. And then like maybe every squad has somebody with a halo. So I was going to say, yeah, I got the impression there was only one, but maybe it's like each order gets one. We don't know yet. Yeah, we don't. But just one quick thing I noticed I thought was funny. Sister Francis, Father Vincent, Mary Lilith. It's like, can't you come up with your own name? <laughs> it's just, what's with all these Christians naming themselves after Bible characters? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's their favorite fan fiction. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. It's true. I can't wait for when the Bible 2 comes out for Ava to be one of the characters. Oh, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be awesome. Well, so we've mentioned that Ava goes to this pool and jumps in and gets saved by this cute boy. We should talk about that because that character and his little band of squatters, we find out, seems important. The first thing I want to mention is that that young man's name is JC. Now, <laughs> eagle-eared listeners will probably put together <laughs> that JC are the initials of Jesus Christ. He's just Whoa. missing the H. Yeah, in the yeah the middle name. Yeah, which stands for Hector. <laughs> Little known fact. Very cool. <laughs> so, and then this character JC also gives this great little speech because he's saying they're squatters. They he and his friends go around to different countries and just stay in these expensive homes 
that are like summer homes, basically, for extraordinarily wealthy people. And he's like, you know, these people are, are millionaires. They just can like they have everything and they take everything from us. They oppress the people. So why shouldn't we, you know, use their space while they're not using it? Nobody's getting hurt. So we just go to these places and just kind of use their property, kind of redistribute their property a bit. Yeah, well, that's how I saw it, too. He says they clean it up. They make it all nice before they leave. They pay to have it professionally cleaned, I guess, so that their scam never gets caught. I guess these people don't have neighbors who would ever be like, hey, there was like some kids in your place when you were gone. It seems like in a neighborhood full of similar types of houses where they're vacation homes for the extremely wealthy. I mean, yeah, these are like chateaus and fucking like these insane manners, basically. And so this is how they live and they just travel around, yeah, to these different locations they know of. And they supposedly perform jobs or something while they're there, too. He does, he alludes that there is some kind of work they do or there's some kind of activity they do besides just living in these homes but he's very cagey about what that is well and his whole group is pretty cagey and is initially very suspicious hostile slash suspicious of Ava maybe understandably because I think Chanel one of the companions points out that you know they're squatters like they have good reason to be protective like people often probably, if they catch them, would not be happy to find a group of four sexy teenagers <laughs> just hanging out in their house. Yeah, or maybe they would like it. But, um, yeah. so they're not teenagers either. They're like young 20-somethings. I think they're supposed to read as teenagers or so. I don't know. No, they're not. I'm terrible at telling age. <laughs> That's clear. But uh, These old, these sexy old people. Oh my god. <laughs> these geriatric squatters. So, I have a lot to say about this, but, um, yeah, Chanel is a lot warmer to Ava later on. She apologizes and she says, we are wary of outsiders or strangers because we're worried if they'll try to turn us in, basically. But she has a really nice gesture for Ava and offers to let her wear this really nice dress and then to tailor it for her. And this is like an expensive ass looking dress. So Chanel is clearly a badass seamstress. Yeah, it's all beaded and everything. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, yeah, we'll have it ready for you to go out tonight. And she offers <laughs> to do her makeup, too. Yeah. It's pretty nice. So, I mean, I, I like I like this turn. I hope that it's genuine. I mean, Chanel seems to really want to make amends for having this initial negative reaction to Ava. Yeah, but so J.C., categorizes their activities as a form of resistance. I love it. And I kind of saw it as a form of radical redistribution where they're almost like Robin Hood uh, and his band of merry men. They're borrowing from the rich to support themselves. (laughs) Well, he talks about redistributing it, but he doesn't go into detail, so we don't know what else they do. Yeah, I'm assuming we're going to have some, uh, let's say, interesting work with JC and his crew. Yeah, and Ava, they seem to be taking her under their wing, and um, 
it's unclear what's what her fate is going to be from here. You know, she might end up staying with her crew and traveling around with them, or she might end up getting snatched up by the warrior nuns. Maybe there'll be some kind of conflict between the two factions. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Ava's new friends do seem to be coded as sort of an opposing idealistic group to the warrior nuns and the church. Right. A little more libertine. Yeah, because there's a specific transition they do where it goes from like the reverent church where they're kind of going through the practices of their like martial arts training and they're playing piano and doing their hymns and their candles burning, their reading. You know, it's this kind of serene environment. And then it cuts directly to Ava and her friends at a rave. Yeah. Where they're taking drugs and they're dancing to electronic music and all this. Great point. They really juxtapose the ascetic lifestyle with the party lifestyle. It's true. And I don't think, if I'm looking at this from the Christian standpoint, either of those is non-Christian. Like, clearly the one in the church, they think they're doing the Christian thing. And I feel the show might have been trying to code that Ava isn't doing that by going to this rave. However, it seems just fine. One of the commandments isn't don't do drugs at a party. (laughs) So Ava's having a good time. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It is a clashing lifestyle to the one she's probably about to interact with, but whatever, you know? Yeah. Party down, man. Yeah. Jesus made wine. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I know. They <laughs> The the early Christians got down with their their wine and beer. Yeah. Yeah. What else did you have to do with in between all those hours of studying and writing? Yeah. To be fair, drinking water might kill you back then. But... Yeah, it's true. Good point. Well, is there anything else we want to cover about this first episode, or do we think we've kind of wrapped it up here? I'm ready to go to final thoughts, that's for sure. Me too. All right, let's do it. Hit the music. All right, guys, so we've just wrapped up episode one of Warrior Nun. This is our new show, so let's get some final thoughts. Uh, What we thought of the show, anything else we want to say before we move on and get ready for episode two in two weeks after our next movie. Jack, what do you got? I wouldn't mind jumping right into it, right? When it comes to Christian fantasy films... As someone who is a follower of the Christian traditions, I'm always a little more sensitive to how, you know, my religion is portrayed in these sort of films. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. Because when you say Christian, it's a really wide umbrella term. Yes. Since there are so many drastic different interpretations of it. And I want to know how it's being represented in the media, because the way I identify is going to be clumped up with whatever this show is putting out there. Sure. Right? So if this show is like, did you know that this minority group is actually run by demons? I'm not going to want to be associated with that. You know what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. yeah. 
And in Christian fantasy, there's a lot of like, oh, you know, there's the famous quote from the Bible that's, uh, thou shall not suffer a witch to live. And it's in so many movies and stuff. I'm like, that's literally the most irrelevant line. And also, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the Bible. What the fuck is that? I, I believe right? that's also a line from Season of the Witch with Nicolas Cage, if I'm not mistaken. I know. But just that, like that was a retcon version of the Bible to the King James version. Yeah. So like <laughs> I know. It's just like oh that's another thing. When it comes to retcons, there, there's a character in the show named Lilith, who's a callback to a character that isn't canon in the modern Christianity, however, has seen a resurgence in popularity through Christian fantasy. Yeah. And it's interesting to see her as a good character in this because she's the mother of demons in the previous canonized version. Oh, the mother of demons? And this show, there's demons. Yeah, I was yeah. I was already wondering if they're going to have that character end up being evil. <laughs> and I will be disappointed if they do. But Yeah. It's true. Well, I'd like to see Lilith as a good character because even in her original myth, I mean, it's it's a real gray area. Whether or not she was the bad guy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I like to think of Lilith as a symbol of, uh, let's say, feminine power. I mean, I do have a gigantic tattoo of Lilith on my back, so. Yeah, which is sick. I think of her as like an egalitarian hero as well. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, she, it, I think that's fine, you know, using a Christian fantasy, but, you know, again, just the, everything it, puts out is uh, is something that i'm going to have to be associated with sure. <laughs> to some degree whether or not i agree with it however just given this first episode i think it's cool nice i think it's good because the main character does not fit in with the sort of stiff brutal church that's out there however it, she is being coded as the solution to their problem right and she's um, the more progressive character so I think that's very cool. They give, uh, they give you know a spotlight to people with handicaps. Then they give they give representation to you know people of different races, different like you know economic groups. Anyway, it was just a very interesting assortment of representation, and uh, I think the action is very cool. I like the setup. Anyway, I'd recommend it. That's what I say. Nice. Great points. And, you know, I really like how you bring up, you know, as somebody who's coming from a worldview where this material is going to be important to you or, or it's going to have a bearing on how you feel you might be perceived and represented. I'm glad that so far it seems to be doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> well, kind of piggybacking on what you were talking about, Jack, I like the way that Ava kind of treats her new powers like she wants to understand them, but it wasn't something she was searching for. And we, like we said, she's the narrator, so we're getting I her. Mean, she was dead, so she wanted to search for <laughs> We're getting her internal monologue the whole time, which is super interesting, and it's a I great like insight too. into her character, of course, because we are literally hearing her thoughts. So. It's a really interesting experience as a a viewer. And so she kind of like thinks to herself that 
you know, there there are so many people that would probably literally kill to have these powers or would have loved to have it. And she didn't really care too much about it. Like she wants to understand how they work, but she's just happy to be alive and to be able to walk again. Uh, that's what's most meaningful for her. And the powers are kind of like a secondary or tertiary bonus to what happened to her. And I she still has a lot of questions, but yeah, I think that's a really interesting take on a character. She's not even really trying too hard to figure what they all are, figure it all out. <laughs> she really just wants to kind of like be able to enjoy life and experience life again, and that's what she's really focused on. Yeah, like we said, like she finds out she has super strength, and she's just like, "Oops, sorry, didn't mean to." Like, knock you over. My bad. She doesn't go out and try to use it or test her powers. She goes and makes friends. And I kind of love that. I love that she isn't trying to use her powers and doesn't really want them. And it's not like she... It's not important. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I will be interested to see where it goes with as she starts to figure them out. She does seem kind of drawn to the misty demons she can see them now yeah it seems like these mist demons that are um the ones who are the tempters let's say i mean maybe the halo gives her the ability to see them. that's what i thought well yeah. that's what's giving her life and all the powers yeah because they're like in the room with other people who don't notice them and ava's like oh shit something i'm really interested in is how she might start learning to maybe help people with her powers and not just use violence, hopefully. Because she seems like the kind of person that will try to avoid violence. Yeah, actually, that that's, we forgot to mention something that happens in the episode is she's at the rave and she goes into the bathroom and sees, like, two mutilated bodies. And she's just like, uh, I gotta go. Yeah. Like, she doesn't, she's not like, oh, I'm gonna be a superhero with these powers. She's just like, uh, I don't want anything to do with this shit. So she's obviously, at best, going to be a reluctant hero. Yeah, but I'm also really interested to see if they um, delve further into the Christ-like allegory of her character. And if other characters kind of explicitly acknowledge this about her, or if it's more subtle. I, I wonder if, like... What other powers the Halo grants the wielder beyond just combat capabilities? Great question. Because, like, it seems like it's hard to kill her because she gets run over by that truck and she just dematerializes and rematerializes when where it's safe for her to do so. Yeah, she's got smart phasing. It, like, <laughs> just phases for her. Yeah. So she doesn't get splattered into a wall. Yeah, it does seem automatic. It seems like she doesn't have to... It's passive abilities, basically. <laughs> I mean, that being said, like, she gets hit by a truck, which normally wouldn't just th jettison your body, like, a hundred feet into the air and then, like, into a building. But, okay, whatever, that works. <laughs> so I'm interested to see where they go with that. Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in here with just my final thoughts and, and say I have really enjoyed the show so far. This first episode sets up, I think, an interesting 
set of powers that we're going to see. Interesting world building with a little bit of uncertainty and some unreliable characters, maybe, whose veracity has to be put into question. Yeah. I think the actors are great, charismatic. I already want to know more. I was, like, yeah. ready to jump right into episode two, but no, no, no. You've got <laughs> to wait for two weeks when we're going to be talking about it again. But, yeah, I just I want to know more. And I also really like that, you know, Solid Snake is part of this uh, series. David Hayter, voice of Solid Snake, is one of the writers for the show. So really excited to see some of the episodes that he primarily writes. Not yeah. this one, but some of the future ones. So that, for me, was a big selling point. That'll be cool. But yeah, so I'm just stoked to see more, basically. That's where I'm at. I, I think that what we've seen so far is compelling. Yeah, I think just to pin down the title of this episode and the passage that goes along with it. Which we'll be doing every week. Yeah. It kind of alludes to perhaps, like you said before, her chosen status. And that she has this divine influence and protection. Mm -hmm. And that there's like this divine light within her as well. Yeah, and I think it also alludes to the fact that this is going to be a new day for her, metaphorically. Right. Her, and possibly literally. Her rebirth and resurrection, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, on that note, we'd like to thank you all for joining us for another episode of Satire TV. Hopefully you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed watching this episode and talking about it. If you want to know more about our show and catch up with what we're doing and see some of our hilarious memes, if I do say so myself, maybe consider following us on social media at Swords and Satire on Instagram and Twitter or join the Swords and Satire Facebook group. You could also join our community of patrons if you have the capability right now. We would really appreciate it. And you have access to great bonus content like our rewriting history episodes. And you would earn the ability to vote on the movies that we'll watch every month. But if you don't have 30 silver pieces to give to your favorite podcasters, <laughs> you know, feel free to sit around, uh, you know, a table with some of your closest friends, uh, have a supper and tell them about... Uh, you know, tell them about a podcast you enjoy. Tell them about Swords and Satire. Maybe they'll go to all the corners of the earth and tell all the people about the podcast as well. All they'll right. Tell their town crier. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, man, if you're a town crier, please cry about our show. <laughs> yeah. To the whole town. Right. Well, guys, until next time, Hail, Hail Crom! Crom.